0: Thank you. All right. It's good to be back after 30 minutes. Uh, <laughs> um, I wanted to share uh, with you guys uh, a session I, I, I've started doing, and I'm, and I'm just starting to take out on the road. And I, I, I released it last week in Nashville, Tennessee, when I was down there speaking. And I wanted to share it with you guys because I like to not only uh, talk like Joe and I did in. in, in figure out and debunk and demystify things that are going on in our business in terms of our marketing and and our strategies and the way we think but I also want to look at things that help us just as people and the way we operate and the way we work um, as professionals in this business so um, my session is basically called so you want to be a rock star And that's a term that's thrown around in this industry a lot, like this person's a rock star, that person's a rock star, I'm a rock star, you're a rock star. And honestly, it's, it's a little tiring to me, and, and the reason why it is, is because I think about people like Keith Richards. And I love Keith Richards, and I love the fact that Keith Richards is a legendary rock star. And he will outlive us all, and he even quit drinking, so he's even like, you know, he's raised that bar even more so the thing about Keith though is in the stones in particular they are legendary rock stars and and I want to sort of take stories from the legends and take you through some things to look at how you're operating yourself and how you're operating your stores and in holistically looking at the business as a whole so why are we here right we want to be great you know we want we come to these sessions we come to these things because we want to learn more we want to be better we want to be great we want to exceed we want to make an impression right and we want that to be profitable. So, what I want to do with you guys today is I want to define a rock star versus a one hit wonder or a flash in the pan. Because I think that's very important, because there's a lot of rock stars out there, but there are only so many that are truly legendary. And follow along with me, because I'm going to, I'm going to make my case. But first and foremost, here's what defines, uh, you know, working through, I think I pulled this from Rolling Stone, but here's the thing about rock stars in general, right? They have talent, they have effort, there's determination, they attract attention for doing or producing something. That is the commonality between rock stars and one-hit wonders. Come on. But legendary rock stars do all of those things, excuse me, I'm spitting out some hummus there. Legendary rock stars do all of those things continuously over time. This is very important. Again, they do all of these things continuously over time. There's a methodology. There's a process. And see, one hit wonders don't keep a connection to their audience or understand the need to change. Anybody know who these bozos are? Thank you. That's so good. Everyone's fast on that. You can tell Toronto's like a new wave town, right? Yeah. There's still some of their stuff I think is badass, but again, that's why... One-hit wonders don't stick around. They can be rock stars. One-hit wonders can totally be rock stars. I'm sorry if I'm blocking my screen. They can be, but they just don't understand that that um, that process and that need to change and grow. Was that that you in the sunglasses? That is me in the sunglasses there, but my head's down so you can't recognize me. Here's Johnny real good. And the reason why I want to talk about this is Urban Dictionary defines the rock stars this, and I want to read this to you. Here's Urban Dictionary's definition of a rock star. A person who always delivers the goods. If they say they're going to do something, they do it. Rock stars tend to downplay their success and don't like attention. They simply deliver consistent results and say little. That's really important because, see, automotive rock stars don't do that at all. We're gonna tell you all fucking day how awesome we are, right? All day long, we're going to tell you and we're going to tell you and we're going to tell you and we're going to get in our cars in the morning and we're going to shoot ourselves in the car in the morning. We're going to tell you how awesome we are and how great things are going to be. And I'm not taking shots at my buddy back there who's trying to do educational content. I'm talking about all those people that are great leaders and motivators and just tell me what they ate for breakfast this morning and how much brand is moving through their system while they drive to the dealership to be another rock star day. And Johnny Rotten is that person. Johnny Rotten is the person who's going to tell you how much of an impact he had on punk rock you guys know who this is right johnny rotten the sex pistols back in the late 70s early 80s the sex pistols broke out of england here's the thing the sex pistols were created just like the monkeys were if you can believe it malcolm mclaren created this band these guys didn't create this band joe strummer mick jones joey ramon Dee ramon those guys met they worked together in garages they formed their bands the sex pistols were created as an act like these guys were such an act and they were perfect for the british market But by the time he actually took these guys on the road, their first little US tour crushed these guys. Like they couldn't even pull it off on the road. Rotten learned later on and created other acts, but the Sex Pistols as a band couldn't even do like eight or nine dates in the States. Sid Vicious got all strung out on even more heroin, killed his girlfriend than himself, and the band broke up. Like again, just a nightmare. But this guy will tell you they are solely responsible for punk rock and I will tell you something. Detroit, Michigan was responsible for punk rock. The home of automotive you know, MC5, the Stooges, like Iggy Pop and the Stooges came out of Detroit in the late 60s, basically playing punk rock, and as Iggy put it, I think we killed the summer of love. Right? So there you go. Detroit, I think, created punk rock, and Detroit also is a home of automotive. So again, let's look at that, because Rotten will always take credit for the work. And again, you have to remember that. The people who sometimes speak the loudest may not always be <laughs> delivering true work, or, or, or truth in their music. So let's talk about some stories now that help us understand things that we can understand at our dealership, but we can understand them through the stories of some legendary rock stars. And there's a dedication to doing the work. So keep your enemies close, not these two, not Mick and Keith, but the people, like what happened with these guys? And I'll, and I'll back up and I'll tell this story. Mick and Keith and the Stones were basically a glorified blues cover band. They love the blues, right? If you know anything about both of these guys, Keith Richards in his biography still feels that Mick Jagger is the best blues harmonica player he's ever heard. That's pretty high praise for Keith Richards who is like a disciple of blues music. But all they were doing is touring Europe and playing blues music in their early days. And the Beatles were doing the same. Beatles were doing covers, but then Paul and John started writing stuff, right? McCartney and Lennon were writing music and they knew how to write hooks. The Stones manager saw that their profitability was based on their, their, need to change. Their need to start writing their own stuff. But the Stones couldn't do it. They could play their asses off. They could play dirty riffs and they could play blues all night long. So what the Stones manager did was, he made a deal and said, we'll give, Paul and John, give us some writing tips. Help us understand how to write and craft a song. You give me what you guys are doing to do that. Help Mick and Keith and we'll give you, we'll give you riffs. So Keith was trading riffs for tips on how to write music, and then the manager locked them in a room together. Mick and Keith got locked in a room together for a weekend, three or four days, and they weren't allowed to come out until they wrote their first song. They dedicated themselves to doing that work, and it's interesting because Richards talks about it now, and he says the minute they got that first song locked down, it was like a tap that was turned on that he can never turn off, but it was dedication to doing the work and something that was going to make them more profitable. So take a page out of those stores that you see. There's stores we all look at, right? There's stores that are our McCartneys and our Lennons. Stores that go, wow, they do great work. I have a, a, my great friend, Kevin Fry, down in Cincinnati, the Weiler Automotive Group. You know, Kevin's group, they do good work. It's not necessarily taking it exactly as they're doing it, but you can find those good things, those good pieces that you can apply and figure out your own way of putting your own spin on it. Because even after Keith and Mick learned it, the press still thought the Beatles and the Stones were doing this, and all the time in the back, they're passing tips back and forth to continue to help each other evolve. So you can take things from your friend's story; you don't have to you don't have to punk it exactly, but you can you can take it and put your own spin on it and make it your own. And that's the dedication to doing the work. Anybody know who these guys are? The Thank you, the Smiths. Arguably, and the critics well, not even arguably like British critics and, and critics around the world have called these guys one of the most influential bands ever to come out of the british independent music scene these guys broke in manchester in 1982 and to this day like you still hear their stuff in movies you hear their stuff in commercials like johnny e. mar the guitarist over here just released uh uh call the comet a brilliant solo album like they're still making music morrissey was uh, like a really you know had a great solo career he's a complete whack job but for these guys as a band when the smiths broke in 82 in manchester they were literally this band that w- were going to be like the next Beatles or the Stones out of England and they only made it five years they couldn't get past 1987 as a band and the reason they couldn't was because of personality their dedication to doing the work wasn't there because they couldn't get past each other's personalities and the personality was this you got Mar the guitarist who wanted to expand and grow and use more, uh, more instruments and more people playing on the albums and things like that And Morrissey didn't like that Morrissey in the middle he wanted to start doing 60s covers so all this work and all this like hype that they started and they were getting like all this momentum you know the personalities were clashing but they were putting their like they were just basically setting their lines in the sand and not budging Mar wanted to go this way musically and Morrissey just wanted to do covers and they got so stuck on that that that's what broke up the band. You've got all of the success. You've got these albums coming out. You've got record labels like throwing money at you, all of this like potential and you blow it all because your personalities are just clashing that much over you want to do covers and you want to use more musicians. That's it. But, but again, I bring this back to you think about how many times in our business or with our teams that we get, we get our lines in the sand with people. Right, we get, those, we get those moments where someone on a team or maybe someone else in another department does something and it ticks you off and it it sets you on the wrong path internally, like the culture in your store. How many times do you see another manager, or another staff, or someone do something, and you go, well, I'm not gonna do it because that person always does it, or this person just said this in our leadership or our sales meeting, and I don't agree with that, so I'm, I'm not gonna do it. Like, there's just these small things that are character defects of ours, where we get offended, or our feelings get hurt, but we allow it to get hurt enough that we let it affect the culture in our stores, or the culture at our businesses and it's small personality things that there's a saying called live and let live and I will be very candid with everybody in the room and those watching at home (laughs) but I'm a 25 year guy in Alcoholics Anonymous and there's a slogan called live and let live like I don't have to agree with everything I hear every day and I'm not gonna agree with everything I need to hear every day but sometimes I have to take it and I have to let it go and sometimes when we're working we have to take things in and we have to let it go. We can't like overreact and get emotional about everything. Sometimes we have to let our teams communicate things because you know what, maybe they've done a bit of work and maybe they've come up with something for the reason why they're going to do the things they do. But that is where personalities get into play and that's where you've got to dial stuff back and you can't let those things get in your way in order to do good business as a team or as an organization or interdepartmentally in your dealerships or your, or your stores. All right here's understanding the tech this is really important the key to longevity is to learn every aspect of music that you can no better person to tell the story than the man here in prince and it's a it's a damn shame he's not around anymore but here's the thing you should know he's performed consistently uh, by the time of his death over 40 years 39 studio recordings that he did himself not to mention all the publishing and writing he did for other people all the engineering he did and usually on his albums he played every single instrument uh... i recommend you go look at go look at his halftime show nfl films did a greatest little level. what's that Yeah, the great yeah, by far the greatest halftime show at a super bowl ever but nfl films even did a short about it with all the production guys talking about working with him in this torrential rainstorm in forty years it never rained on a super bowl and he, they said the rain was coming in sideways into the upper booth and this guy's on stage on his stage on slippery tile and he platform, platform shoes his backup dancers are in eight inch heels and he's being passed live guitars the whole time live instruments thunderstorm going on and prince is knocking it out of the park and the one thing they said like you know we can you know is there anything we can do and all he said was can we make it rain harder <laughs> you know what i mean like one of the guys was like and this is prince and he tore it apart and you watch that and that's that's someone understanding the conditions performance, the production, everyone around him. And even watching him, if you watch this short, pay attention, there's a part where he walks down the catwalk of the stage and the two dancers come down his side and he's playing his ass off and he's in the middle of some, like he's in his zone and he turns and he, already, he, just, he doesn't see them, but it's just the way he turns and moves through them with his guitar, you know, cause you see, you know, you can go on YouTube Fails and see people get hit in the head like that one you, you shared with us the other day. Remember the guy swung the guitar and hit the singer in the head? This, this is not Prince, Prince is too smooth for this, even with all of this chaos going on around him, and people all over the floor in these Super Bowl halftime shows, Prince is still moving, like knows where every single person and piece of equipment is in this pouring rainstorm. It's amazing, even to the fact where he's done stuff where he's done like six hour concerts like Montreal, and I'll get to that later, but you know, very famous story about the Montreal Jazz Festival just a few years ago, even two years before he died I think, six hours, got on stage at midnight, played till six in the morning. That's just knowing your stuff. Like the man, the man's incredible. So the true stars learn technology inside and out at the dealerships and we were talking about that earlier in our earlier session. It is true like learn everything. Technology is going to come into the dealerships guys whether you like it or not. You have to use it. It's going to evolve with or without you and that's the the ironic thing is like say to everybody if you've got pushback at your store and someone's like I'm just not technically savvy ask this question. Hey, everybody, hold up your smartphones. Is anyone in this room here not have a smartphone? Anybody? Like, you know, I know Bill's not connected to his provider, but he still has a smart, he, he has no connectivity. He's totally off the grid can right still now. Make notes. Exactly. You can still, exactly still make do notes, do make but you're still using it. But I always do that. Anytime someone says, I'm not technically savvy, I'm like, hey, can you put my contacts in your smartphone? And they do that. And I'm like, Dude, you own a smartphone. You own something that can launch a fucking rocket, for God's sakes, right? We can do everything with these stupid phones. We have so much power in our hands, so there's not one person on your team that's allowed to say, I'm not technically savvy. There's too much power in our hands that we have to use, like it or not, because it moves without us. And that's something that we have to remember. Just remember on that. And also remember, too, that, um, like I was saying about learning your technology and understanding the data of it like Prince understood his music is we are seeing that where we said earlier we're seeing a 15 percent drop in traffic at at the dealership and walk in traffic but people that are understanding their technology and their time are actually keeping their appointments up up 17 percent right so it's just using it and understanding it unless you're these guys these guys didn't understand anything really they didn't understand uh, English they didn't understand they didn't speak English Um, they didn't really know what they were doing most of the time or any of that part. Everyone knows Milli Vanilli for what they didn't know. But one hit wonders at our dealerships, though. Those sharks usually hide the fact that they know little about the technology. Like, you can have a a 60-car-a-month guy in your dealership, and I guarantee you if, if Joe went in and opened up the CRM, he's nowhere in there. Because he's burning through ups like like your biggest rock stars are the people that don't know anything about technology and you're and they're hurting they're hurting the data that like that whole garbage in garbage out starts because of your top performers aren't using something and if they're not using something that culture that'll go. Yeah, well, like, I, there's an old gentleman at a uh, store in Georgia and he sells thirty five per month. He doesn't know how to log into a CRM system, but he's an old, he can barely write his name, but they will print out numbers for him. And he'll sit and he'll call 40 people in a day. He's not afraid of calling the customers. But th- that's kind of part where I said, you don't need to teach Mo how to use the CRM. He's too damn old not as be as to As long as someone's to leveraging the CRM, the CRM, CRM to help Mozo. But they hired somebody to literally be a as administrative assistant in the CRM. You saw 35 grand. They, they created a tier system where once you hit 20 cars a month consistently two months in a row, right. you, you a, your own assistant for 500. There you go. Most just, Moe's just a stereotypical one-shoe dirty leg. Yeah. Yeah, so. There you. <laughs> let's talk about, let's talk about understanding, <laughs> understanding the data and how it holds others accountable to it as well, all right? Uh, and I ain't talking about love, I'm talking about data. Everyone knows this gentleman, right? Diamond Dave from Van Halen. Everybody thinks Dave's kind of a crackpot, right? Everyone knows Dave Lee Roth from Van Halen. Guy's kind of nuts. Eddie's, Podcast. what's that? Podcast. Right. So this is Roth, but here's an interesting story about David Lee Roth that Henry Rollins tells. So Henry Rollins, one of the god, uh, you know, godfather of hardcore punk. So Rollins does a lot of speaking and has his own interview show and goes around and interviews all these great people. Rollins talked about going to see Ted Nugent as a 16 year old in Washington, DC. Him and Ian McKay from Minor Threat went to see Ted Nugent. And this unknown band from California, Van Halen, was opening up for Nugent that night. And he said these guys came out and they destroyed. Like they were so good. And then what happened was Nugent came out after and like apparently had technical issues. And so the crowd started chanting for more Van Halen to get them out because Nugent's band was just tanking so bad. And apparently Ted, because he's, you know, Ted's a pretty stable guy himself. Ted, (laughs) Ted, uh, Ted had a meltdown apparently at the show. So uh, Rollins was talking about not only just seeing Van Halen for the first time in the scenario around it, because also that's like Nugent not understanding his audience, you know, not understanding the CX of the performance. But Rollins went up and talked, finally met David Lee Roth and talked about that show. And the thing Rollins said that stood out to him was Rollins, uh, David Lee Roth, like a calculator, um, automatically remembered how many tickets were sold at the gate, what they sold at their own merch table that night and what pieces and how much they said he was just like a machine. And it was the first thing he said about the show. It wasn't like, Oh, I'm glad you saw us. No, we sold that many tickets that night, our take was this, our merch was this, we sold this many t-shirts, we sold this many albums. He said, apparently about Roth is, that's Roth's understanding of the data. Does anyone know why they pulled out uh, the M&Ms, Van Halen pulled it out? Van Halen had the rider, right? Everyone knows the rider, the M&Ms, right? Van Halen had it in their rider, you gotta pull all the brown M&Ms out of the packet, like we want a big bowl of M&Ms, and you gotta pull all the brown M&Ms out. It was in every rider, buried in a contract in the back. And everyone after that did it to be like, I'm gonna one up Van Halen and do something even goofier. The reason why they did this was to hold people accountable. So Roth understood the data, but apparently in an early tour, they had a stage kind of collapse, like not collapse. It, it hurt people, didn't kill anybody, but law- the lawsuits and the insurance started flying around and Van Halen realized because they are part of this machine, they are also part of the groups that could be sued for someone being injured. And so what they realized was that promoter and that production team weren't taking the the safety factors in account. They weren't keeping their people safe. They put that rider into their contracts, deep into the contract. And if they didn't do it, they wouldn't play because they knew the promoters and the producers weren't accountable. They weren't reading their contracts. They weren't paying attention to what Van Halen was dictating for their, you know, as soon as they saw that they go, these guys don't care about anything they just want the gate they're not taking care of people's safety or anything else so that's why the old m and story was actually true was because they wanted to hold people accountable for their stuff and that's why I want you guys to hold you know rockstar managers understand how data can help them build better things you know a rockstar manager is a guy who like a legendary guy is looking at data for instance so with next up we have we have floor traffic data right we can see the walk-in traffic we can see the appointment shown we can see how many times a manager intros but a, a, you know, a, a manager is using data like that, or they're going into the CRM, or they're, they're doing something, if they're, if they're a service director or a, or a parts manager, but they're using their data to take the time to coach somebody up you know, help them out, mentor them up, make them a better salesperson, a service advisor, make them a better parts person. It's all about mentoring because if you're a manager and you're like, I'm too busy, so I'm gonna lock myself away in my, my office cave or I'm just gonna desk deals all day, you're actually not doing what you've been paid to do and that's that's coach people and train people. And we hear it, right? Like Wayne Gretzky couldn't coach hockey worth worth beans, right? Gretzky was the best hockey player in the whole world, can't coach a hockey team. So, you know, you're you're 60 car or a guy dude may not be a great manager and they have to be people that are good with people to help people and empower people so that's the thing about understanding your data and understanding how things run because you have to be that person that can take a new person that comes into the store and really you know welcome them into it and i give i give dealers a ton of credit because when I owned my agency, I knew nothing about the automotive segment whatsoever. I knew nothing about dealership business. I knew nothing about automotive advertising, but the dealer principals were the guys that taught me everything I needed to know about the business, and I'm grateful to those guys. I didn't learn it from the OEMs because I worked at a tier one agency. I owned my own little small agency, and I worked with dealers, and they taught me all about the automotive business, and I thought that was really telling because their people also have to bring in all the new people and do the same thing their managers have to remember that too, and I think sometimes managers get a little lost on, on target. Now Chuck Berry on the other hand, and understanding your data, or understanding your contracts, or what you're writing up for people, Berry didn't understand that, um, Chess Records was the record company that produced a lot of early 50s acts, Chuck Berry, uh, Fats Domino, a ton of them, and Alan Freed was a DJ in New York City, who was playing all this rock and roll that was coming out. Thing is was, Freed was in Chess Records' back pocket. Chess Records was giving him publishing rights and royalties on their artist, uh, recordings while Freed, so in exchange for Freed playing it on the radio. So on the first recording and pressing of Chuck Berry's Maybelline, one of the most famous rock recordings, Freed had publishing rights on that. Freed had publishing credit on that. So Chuck Berry was making basically about a half a cent on everything he was selling. And he didn't read the contract and even he says it in his biography, I didn't read my contract. I didn't read anything and and I learned the hardest lesson right away. But at the time of Barry's death, like Barry was a dude that if he played, if we had him playing this, he he can't because he's dead. But if he was playing it, if he came in, Jason would have to pay him in cash before he even walked up on stage. Barry traveled light. He goes, just get me this backup band. I'll tell him how to play it but you give me a bag of money before I walk up on that stage or I'm not walking up on that stage and he'd take his money home. Like he left at at closing, I I think like his estate was worth about 12 million when he passed away, but now it's worth like an estimated 50 million because of his publishing and stuff, but he learned that hard lesson right away and learned everything he had to do. He managed his own stuff, he wrote his own publishing deals, he did everything his way after that because he was so stung. And I I think his mom, I I think the quotes here, what did his mom say is um, something about like, I don't know, don't let the same dog bite you twice or something like that. But um, you know, One Hot Wonders though, like they they don't understand the data so they burn through ups, right? One Hit Wonders will burn through a lot of ups and they'll create a really lousy environment and a culture at your store. They just won't like it. And you know, but they, and it really does affect everyone and they look at social media and the landscape right like so people who want to be rock stars and don't understand using data to make themselves better they just want to use social media and they want to use their I've got my own way of selling cars and I don't do what everyone else does because I'm a social media rock star and I got to put my stuff on Instagram every day and my whole take on that is this is like being Instagram famous is like being rich in monopoly so just remember that next time where you're sort of coveting what someone may have up on social media because you can make yourself whatever you want on social media, you really can. It does not take a lot of time nor it does take any effort. But the real truth is um, the work, right? So right, like one hit wonders, they don't understand the work and they don't ha- understand how data ladders into that. And putting a premium on CX is a big thing for legendary rock stars. Everyone knows these two, Bruce Springsteen, Clarence Clemens. This picture was taken 44 years ago. 44 years ago, and these guys are ripping it out, right? Everyone under, like, see, and everyone sees this picture of Springsteen, and they get it. Like, someone tell me, give me a, I would just go around the room, shout out someone that, if someone said, I'm going to go, I'm, I haven't gone to see concerts in a long time. It's been five to ten years since I've gone to see a live concert. Who should I go see? Just tell me anybody. You tell, like, without even blinking who you'd go see. It doesn't matter. And don't be, no, don't be funny. Like, someone that you go, like, no matter every time I see them, they just, they kill. Right. Who? Okay, Joe. Come on, you see a lot of live music, but who? But who would you say though? Like, who's that person that you go? You know what? If you're going to go see somebody, this person never disappoints. Ah, come on. Brad, Brad. Paisley. Thank you, Brad Paisley. Madonna. Madonna. Okay. I
1: say kiss. Kiss. Barb.
0: Great. Steel Garth Brooks. Steel Panther. Roger Waters. Steel Panther. <laughs> Roger Waters. Everyone's got one. Mine's like one of mine's like Fishbone from L.A. Or uh, you know, I've got them uh, like. Sheryl Crow just played here last week. Like Sheryl Crow played at Budweiser stage. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a punk rock kid that grew up in the, in the 80s in that scene, but I've seen Sheryl Crow live, and, and she tears it up. She is so good live. So again, but those are those things that we can, when you think about it, you can really pull those people up right away. You can, you can tell people, and that's what this is all about. And in, 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 in Springsteen said it best, sustaining an audience is hard. It demands a consistency of thought, of purpose, and of action over a long period of time. How do we start this? It's doing these things over continually over a long period of time. And Springsteen talks about that, right? It is that. And that is that CX, right? So leadership, leadership teams should be placing that onus because when you go see Springsteen in concert, he's going to give you three hours of blood, sweat, and tears, and he's going to sing to you. And people, are, people talk about going to see Springsteen, and if they're close to the stage, they're like, he was singing right to me the whole time right? People talk about that at, the, at shows like Springsteen, Springsteen touches people kit like kiss Garth Brooks, Madonna. It doesn't matter if you're dialed into those shows and there's someone that really goes the extra mile to have like, you know, you too, you name it. Those, those, those shows are so big, but that show that performance at your dealership, just the fact of walking in and making that person's visit that, that memorable for them that they go away and say, Hey, who should I buy a car from? Buy from Brandon's Toyota. Like, th- that performance was amazing. It, like, everything about everyone I met, everything I looked at, everything I, t- everything I touched, talked to, drank, ate at the store, everything was, like, incredible. I would go back there every time I needed to buy a car. That is that same thinking of, like, Springsteen puts so much into every concert he plays. So are you putting so much into every visitor that comes through, or are you pre-qualifying them before they even break the glass? Something to think about. It was a long time for you. It was a long time for me. It was a long time for anyone. Looks like it's meant to be. No, it's not, Axel. It's not meant to be. Because Axel, here you go. They're talking about CX and Concert CX. Nobody shouted out Guns N' Roses for one of those memorable concerts because these guys, like Axel Rose would be three hours late for stuff. You know, before the reunion, there was two guys in my agency that went to that show. And I think they went to Hamilton to Cop's Coliseum, and I remember them coming back the next morning, and they were like, those MFers were three and a half hours before they got on stage. That's actually what broke up the band. Slash shut down the band because he was so pissed at Axel coming on stage late like that every night because C- Slash understood the CX. Like, you can't make people wait like that. You can't have people pay 90 bucks a ticket on a school night with the babysitter taking care of the kids, and you're in Hamilton waiting for Axel Rose to, like, take a sweet time and get out on stage to to him. yeah something yeah something along those lines like he handcuffed him so much and that's the thing like slash is a performer and understands what the audience is there to get like what the audience is there to pay for and that's the same thing this is almost like turn styling it's like every time you make a customer wait every time you walk away from them, every time you go, just get a manager, every time you just, I'll be right back. Every time your phone goes off and you take that text or a phone, I just got to take this. Every time you walk away from the customer, you're axle rosing them. Let's use that term moving forward. Oh, you just totally axle rose that guy. Cause turn styling's too, you know, it's too old school. Let's, let's just call it you axle rose them because you do. Every time you make someone wait, you're killing that experience for them and no one likes to wait. They'll wait if there's a purpose behind it. If you're waiting with them and you're doing something, so think about that time. Like, think about the, think about the things you're doing in case, like, in case finance is busy and you can't get that person in because both your finance managers are working deals with people, but you know one's been in there for maybe 25 minutes. Like, on our platform, we can see, okay, you know, uh, we've got a finance manager who's been in for 25 minutes. We're usually 30 minutes in finance per customer. We've got five more minutes. Why don't you and I do the tech? It's just thinking about what can you do to keep, keep your customer engaged so they never have to wait because that is the thing that killed. Again, these guys were like the Smiths. These guys came out like their first album, did nothing for a full year, and then they were the biggest band ever. And I, I don't think that was 10 years maybe, right, if you look at their whole timeline before, before they broke up okay timing is everything we're in the home stretch here so bands like the stones like you two like springsteen garth brooks they're all well-run organizations right they're not just bands they are big corporations they are organizations and they understand the consistency of being in front of their audience and how to be in front of it even if they're not playing it's album releases It's interviews, it's side projects, it's different things. Maybe it's a documentary, maybe it's a movie. Like Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters is brilliant at that, right? Like there's a lot of content he produces in between stuff. Those organizations, not just the band, understand how to stay in front of people. And that's that consistency. And there's a reason why all of these bands are the highest grossing live acts is because by the time they get back out in front of these audiences, people can't wait to give you their money. Right? And that's that consistency of staying in front of them all the time. Right? Just different ways. Different pieces of content, strategically moving them through their funnels until it's time to play again or it's time to bring them back into your concert venue for your own show for them. Okay? So use their time when you're not in front of the customers. Think about that. What are you doing when you're not in front of a customer? Like we talked about earlier. Are we standing around? Are we hanging around waiting for walk-ins? Or are we actually doing things that can actually make our dealership better? Maybe you like to write. Maybe there's a blog you can write for the dealership website on something that you're passionate about in the dealership or a facet of the business. Maybe you're working your CRM, and, and I get it. You, you can't spend every, every minute of every day working the CRM, but maybe you're out doing some community work, or there's all sorts of things you can be doing as a dealership employee because you, are, you have five and a half hours of your day where you're not in front of a customer. I have the data and the data doesn't lie. I got 12 years of data that shows you are not in front of a customer for five hours of your day. So if you're too busy to do things that are asked of you or too busy to do otherwise I will, I will call shenanigans on that because there's just too much time and it's interesting too now I, I've been doing this experiment for about two months now where I'm literally clocking every second of every day. I'm using Clockify app on my browser, and I'm literally time tracking every little thing and every big thing I work on to like really look at where I'm spending my time and how I'm spending it because I want to practice what I preach. How much is on spell check? How much is on spell check? Oh my God! Like 16 hours. <laughs> you do Grammarly? <Gremlin. laughs> Go, back? Go back. Why? <laughs> Shit! <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> you you you've had your time. <laughs> Webb. sit down. <laughs> Go. Don't don't you have a nap to take or something? <laughs> yeah, yours. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> just sit, just, just, just stay, just stay down. Exactly. No kidding. So the, the miseducation of Lauryn Hill was a huge album. That timing is everything. And when her album came out, her solo album came out, she was the biggest thing in RB. They were hoping for Lauryn, like they were literally hoping Lauryn, like they had everything, like the perfect package of everything. And that album of hers was brilliant. Won all these Grammys, like they had movies lined up for her. They had everything lined up for her. And she was like, nah, I'm going to go crazy. And uh, so, so, but not that she did, but just like her behavior got really erratic. She didn't show up for stuff. You know, she refused to do things like, and I get it. You're an artist and you can have your own, you can have your own, own persona in your own, in your own life. You can. Nina Simone, classic pre-example of, of Lauren Hill. Like Lauren Hill was like the second version of Nina Simone. Nina Simone, for those of you who don't know, uh Jazz ingenue, brilliant singer, and then she decided, hey man, like I'm gonna do my own thing and like kind of disappeared. Right? And so Lauren did the same thing and for her own reasons. However, she came back and and got every time she came back though and got in front of audiences, and this is the thing, I don't care how you act and I don't care what you want to do with yourself, but every time she got back in front of audiences though, she brought the erratic behavior with her super late, like Axel Rose for gigs, not showing up different things. It's like, you know what? If people are taking the time to come see you and they want to see you and they want to, they want to like revel in your artistry, don't, s- keep crazy at home. Like bring, bring the, bring the pro, you know, bring the pro version of the show to the stage. Bring the pro version of your show to your dealership. You know, take that time and really bring that. Don't be erratic when you're doing things, right? So it's an extreme look at it, but it's the other thing too because I think sometimes we do that. Our erratic behavior is talking about all the stuff we do on social media. That's our erratic behavior. Posting stuff going, you know, it's three o'clock in the morning and I'm still crushing it at work. <laughs> or I'm still, still doing something. and I'm grustling, right? Like we call it grustling when you're hustling and grinding all at the same time and you're doing it, you're doing it so fast you're now grustling. So you use that. It's, uh, it's one of ours. But I say that because. So often, we're using social media, again, to say all of this stuff that we're doing, but actually, in fact, we're not doing anything. It's like being at shows here. It's like, yeah, I'm here at Game Changer, but then I left and I got back to my store and I, and I didn't take anything back with me that I could take to a meeting. I could write into a brief, maybe share with people, go, hey, I learned a couple really cool things, even, even the small stuff, even a couple things you could take away from Joe's to go, hey, a couple things from Joe's for CRM that we could be doing, let's, let's take a look at it. As long as there's something actionable you can take away. Because that's our erratic behavior. We can go away to shows and we can get really lit up at the content we're hearing and the speakers like myself that you're listening to, but it's how you enable it afterwards. And that's a consistency instead of being erratic. Instead of going to shows, getting our heads full of thought and then then posting all about it, but then not doing anything about it. And that that is really tough, right? If you don't follow any, any process, it ultimately blows up on you, right? It's gonna blow up on your team, it's gonna blow up on your business. I don't care how you do it or don't do it, but you've gotta have some sort of accountable process, okay? No one is bigger than the band or the store. Remember what I said, these guys are organizations, right? Bands are organizations, they're corporations. No one is bigger than, like the Stones need a record company. They need a record company to produce, like to press the albums, distribute them, sell them. They need management and financial teams to run that business sell the merchandise, Charlie Water, of the Stones took all their merchandise in-house back in the 80s because he saw how, he understood the data and saw how much money they were losing to outside vendors selling and, and having all the rights to their stuff, right? But the engine that runs the stone, the engine that runs Springsteen, they're all those things. So anyone that's out there that's telling you at their store that they're bigger than the store, that they're the reason that store's successful, I call bullshit again because you, you, you don't have anything unless that manufacturer is building you cars, right? you're not a rock you're not bigger than the store because if you don't have a manufacturer you don't have cars to sell if you don't have a GM that's empowering you to be a, a blabbermouth on social media and talking about how great you are and allowing you to do that stuff that's fine if they're empowering you to do that and you love your job and you're selling stuff and you're doing good business for them but that general manager is like that general manager is your road manager he's giving you the venue in which to do it you're not bigger than the store rock stars and automotives are not bigger than the store because without all the other pieces they have nothing to perform with. They have nothing to give a customer or their audience when that audience breaks the glass. And that's the thing we need to always understand is, we aren't, and that's best working in a team instead of always empowering the individual. Because I can also tell you, I've done like closed door meetings with small groups of dealers that have talked about allowing the rock stars to get away with things that has critically hurt their business. And from the words of one of them, if I knew how much money I had to pay out to correct things one of our rock stars did at our dealership, I I would have, I would have gotten rid of them earlier. But we turned a blind eye to stuff and it killed our culture. From an HR standpoint, from a legal standpoint, these are the things you have to remember. No one is bigger than your organization's mentality of what you want to do for your customer, right? So again, sustaining an audience is hard. It demands a consistency of thought, of purpose, and of action over a long period of time. That's the thing you always have to remember, and take it from Springsteen, and take it from Richards. Yeah, you know, look at Keith. He's, you know, he's not the best looking guy anymore, but he understands it. He understands longevity, and he's wildly successful, and he's one of the happiest guys you'll ever meet. Like, how can you not be? Look at this guy's life but he understands the business of it and he's enjoying himself. So I hope that you take some of the stories, I hope you take some of the lessons from some of our legendary rock stars and if you're going to make people or yourselves in your organization a rock star, make them legendary because then it's more of a team effort. Good, that's it, all done. (laughs)